0: My name is Paul Reese, and it's my privilege to serve as the uh, lead pastor here at Shark Chapel, and it's great to be with you. Thank you, band, for leading us in those wonderful songs this morning. Let's pray and ask for God to speak to us. Father, thank you that you have proclaimed yourself through your creation. The skies pour forth your praise day after day. Thank you that you've given us your word that reveals your Son. Help us, Lord, to understand your word to us as we we open it up. Would you give us ears to hear? Fill us with your spirit that we may have boldness and courage to do what it says. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as a teenager, I had this sort of idea that there'd be some sort of way that I could package the, the Christian message... So that when I shared it, there'd be some sort of words or technique where I could share it, and people would just just say, oh, thank you, that's amazing. And, and no one would ever find it um, awkward uh, or offensive or a bit tricky. And that they would, if I could only just find that magic way, uh, it would, being a witness would be really simple. Second Timothy teaches us that it's kind of, there's no magic way. There's no sort of suffering-free way of passing on our faith. Um, and that's especially true if we're clear to people of the need to surrender their whole lives to Jesus because people actually don't want to do that. Uh, there is a new kind of state religion uh, today today. I would suggest, uh, with with a worldview philosophy that's held by some leaders and politicians that actually is becoming quite opposed to the Bible. Uh, Two weeks ago, a Scottish government minister called on the first minister of Scotland to denounce a Christian business leader as a vile, homophobic bigot. Last year, we saw the political storm that took place when uh, the MSP, Kate Forbes, ran to be Uh, the leader of her political party, and uh, as she was unashamed to speak of her own uh, evangelical faith commitments and membership of the Free Church of Scotland, there was an absolute verbal pylon against her. We keep hearing about street preachers receiving apologies and financial redress for being wrongfully arrested by the police on the streets, but they're still facing the harassment of being arrested. To be a to be public today about, your, uh, about being a Bible-believing, evangelical Christian is to invite criticism, verbal abuse, and prejudice. And all that can seem a little bit remote to us um, until that moment when the diversity champion uh, hands out the, ra- the rainbow lanyards uh, around the teacher's common room or the, uh, the office or the staff workers area and invites everyone to put them on for Pride Month. In that moment... What are you going to do if you're here as a a person who believes the Bible? It's like a modern moment, similar to that moment of Daniel's friends in Babylon, isn't it? Where they know that in a moment the trumpet blast is going to go and uh, everybody's expected to bow down and pay homage to the state religion of the golden statue. And so um, as the lanyards go out, what are you going to do? We all hate being the odd one out. We all hate social embarrassment. No one's going to throw us into the fiery furnace. But nobody wants to be thought of as a vile, hateful bigot. In fact, you know, we know we're not. We don't want to be trolled by social media or our peers. And so in that moment, what are we going to do? Well, what does God have to say to us? Well, please open your Bibles back up to Second Timothy chapter 1. And um, that's page 1195 in the church Bibles, page 1195. And look at verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the me about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Look at Paul's passionate appeal to Timothy here. Don't be ashamed. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. There's two aspects that Paul calls him to not be ashamed of. Firstly, don't be ashamed about our Lord, the testimony about our Lord. Now, why does he say that? Well, because it's, it's quite possible to feel ashamed of the gospel. In the Greco-Roman world, what was prized was strength, success, victory. And so to go out proclaiming a message of how, well, God humbled himself to become a man called Jesus from a kind of a nowhere place and his claim to being the Jewish Messiah, to being the son of God was actually rejected by his own religious leaders and he was handed over to the Roman authorities to this most cruel and shameful death of crucifixion and then to say, look after three days he rose from the dead, well that message can seem a bit foolish to both Jews and Romans and modern day Scottish people. But it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, he says in uh, verse 8. It's not only possible to be ashamed of the gospel, it was possible to be ashamed of the apostle Paul. See, wherever Paul went preaching, he received stiff opposition and much suffering. Where is he when he was writing this letter? He's in prison. He was frequently in prison. Someone has calculated that almost half of his time as a missionary was in prison. He'd been flogged five times from his own Jewish people, uh, lashed with 39 strokes. Three times he was beaten with rods. He, he had, Timothy had seen how he'd been almost stoned to death in Lystra. There were false be- uh, believers who were Pursuing him and endangering his life. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and a day in open sea before he got rescued. Paul did not like look like he was successful, did he? He didn't look like a winner, a person to be around. He was not a much sought after speaker who travelled the world in comfort. Um, leading a massive church planting network with massive influence and lucrative publishing contracts, speaking at mega churches. For Paul, his ministry involved physical and emotional suffering. Former ministry partners, part of the missionary team, known to Timothy, had deserted him. It was a getting a bit too much to hang around with Paul because of all the suffering that seemed to follow him. It does take a lot of courage to be willing to stand with a person being bullied or persecuted, doesn't it? Whether that's in school, or in politics, or on the building site, or on social media. Because you know, if you stand with them, well, you're going to face the same sort of hostility. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Instead, Paul says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Now Paul's suffering is long past, it doesn't hang around us in the same way, but you know what, Uh, down through the years uh, in theological studies people have often tried to separate themselves from the teachings of the Apostle Paul. His clarity on God's wrath against sin. His clear stance on sexual ethics, well, it's just a little bit inconvenient. And some try and strip away Paul and look for some sort of supposed purer message of Jesus. It was Paul who messed up Christianity. And if we just stuck with Jesus, there's been many theological attempts to do something like that. And so the the challenging word of God to all who are Christians, uh, especially those who are leaders here today, is will we be willing to suffer for the gospel of jesus christ preached by the apostle paul because if you distance yourself from the apostle paul you're actually distancing yourself from the actual gospel that jesus commissioned him with will we be ashamed of the bible and the writings of the apostle paul i mean at this point in scotland it doesn't mean uh, prison or physical beatings or martyrdom, but it can mean that, can't it? In many nations around the world, the current February edition of Evangelicals Now has these sobering reports. In Nigeria, in Plateau State, 238 Christians were killed over Christmas. The Christmas just passed by Fulani Muslim militia. 80 communities were affected. 20,000 people were driven from their homes. Over the last 15 years, 52,000 Nigerian Christians have been killed by jihadists. 18,000 churches have been destroyed. In India, in Manipur state, violence against Christians has necessitated recent mass burials of 122 Christians. In Uttar Pradesh, 400 Christians allegedly uh, uh, were arrested for allegedly speaking, uh, seeking to convert Hindus by force. I doubt that very much, but that's for the charge. They've broken their anti-conversion laws, and so they're currently under arrest. Now remember that as you consider applying to the latest Scottish government proposal to ban conversion practices. Now we don't suffer like that in Scotland as yet. But actually, will we be willing to face the social embarrassment, uh, the mockery from others, to be isolated within our schools, to be removed from positions of honor, to be denounced as a vile bigot, to be overlooked for advancement in our careers, to have people back away from us, to suffer uh, damage and loss to reputation and status? Will we refuse? To be ashamed of the gospel, and be willing to join with those who suffer for the gospel. That's the question. And and I suppose it it raises the the, the question. Well, why why would you suffer for the gospel? I mean, if we're walking along a mountain route and, and, and there's, you come to a, a crossroads and, and one way is a guaranteed way of, of suffering and hardship and pain, and then there's an easier pathway that avoids that suffering and pain, which one are you going to choose? I think most of us are probably going to go for the easier one. I mean, there's a few courageous souls who like the challenge, but the rest of us go, oh, I'll go the easy route. Why on earth would you choose the way of suffering? How do you remain unashamed to suffer for the gospel? Well, there are a number of reasons I want to show us this morning and and next week, but let's let's think about four this morning. To remain unashamed of the gospel, we're only going to do that firstly by depending on the power of God. 1 verse 8, Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You know, last week we began looking at the first part of this chapter and we saw that Timothy is called to fan the flame of his his gift. For the Spirit of God does not make us cowards, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You see, the, the Spirit that God gives us is a Spirit that gives us power to endure suffering. The strength to keep going against opposition doesn't rest with our own limited resources. The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit enables us to keep going. Uh, it was my privilege this last week to pray with over 200 other pastors from all around Scotland at the McDonald, uh, the McDonald Hotel. It was, it was a privilege to, to pray uh, on Wednesday at Prayer Central, evening for our mission partners. It, it's a, it was a privilege to pray on Thursday mornings. I do each week with... Um, Uh, local edinburgh pastors why do we pray well because we're not going to be able to do this work in our own strength we're not going to keep going against opposition unless we know holy spirit power keeping us faithful my friends if you feel timid and shy can i call on you to pray Ask God to fill you with his Spirit, who gives us power to be his witnesses. After 40 days of uh, teaching the disciples after his resurrection, they had all that information, but Jesus still told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God was poured out. Because only then would they have power to be his witnesses. We need to be a prayerful people if we're going to stick at this work. Secondly, how do we keep going? Well, we need to be confident in the gracious call of God. Look at 1 verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy life. See, look at what God has done for every genuine believer. He saved us and he called us to a holy life. Um, there's a part of us that doesn't want to be different to anybody else, but the truth is, if God saved you, you are different to those who are not amongst His saved people. Uh, we've reached kind of mid January, and some of those good intentions, perhaps, of our um, resolutions are starting to look a bit uh, thin because changing your life is quite hard. It's hard to break away from addictions to smoking and to alcohol and to drugs. It's hard to break bad habits. It's, it's hard to change your diet. It's hard to change your spending patterns. But the grace of God that saves us transforms us. God has called us to a holy life. There's a new power within us to, to overcome sinful desires, to, to, to break habits, to, to, to go in a different direction. If you've ever tried to go in the opposite direction to a crowd at a football um, uh, or rugby game, when crowds are flooding in, uh, or when you're going th- to, uh, into an underground and all the people are flowing out of the underground, you're going the opposite direction, you know it's hard to do that and you're buffeted and pressed. But we're called to live a holy life, to go in a radically different direction. You do belong to God's people if you're trusting him. In Acts chapter 5, it records how the spirit-filled apostles were arrested and they were put in prison. And then they were flogged by the religious authorities and they were warned not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore in Jerusalem. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Can you imagine it ever got as bad as that in Edinburgh? Up before the city council, they ordered that you get flogged, and they say, don't talk about Jesus anymore in Edinburgh. What would you do? What did the apostles do? Well, filled by the Spirit of God, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. (laughs) Wow. Because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace in the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. That's the Spirit of God. That's because you belong to his holy people. What will keep us going as witnesses to Jesus when we face opposition? Well, depending on the power of God, we can be confident in the gracious call of God to to live a holy life and to be unashamed of this gospel and unashamed of being different. Thirdly, by delighting in the sovereign grace of God. Who knew that the doctrine of election was there to do us so much good? Look at verse 9. This grace was given us in Christ. Notice when it was given us. This grace was given us in Christ before the beginning of time. But has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul was in prison. He's awaiting potentially a death sentence. What stopped him from falling apart? Well, he had this eternal perspective of the plans and purposes of God. God saved him as an act of sovereign grace. Not because of anything that he had done. Uh, We don't make ourselves worthy. We don't sort of begin to to show that we're nice people and God says, oh, you're so lovable, I'm going to save you. It's not about anything that we do. We cannot save ourselves. Our salvation rests solely on the love and the mercy and the grace of God. He chose to set his love on us and save us and he did that. Even before time itself. Look at that last part of verse 9 again. This grace was given us in Christ before the beginning of time. It's a mind bending thought, isn't it? And the philosophical amongst us will get stuck trying to fit it all together, trying to make sense of how, how do we make real choices and, and God actually to have a predetermined plan even before He created the world of who's going to save. But notice, Paul's not sweating about it. He's actually resting in it. He's rejoicing in it. He's delighting in it. Look at how he describes his imprisonment even. He is the Lord's prisoner. He knows who threw him in prison. But actually says, you know what? Ultimately, I'm in prison because the Lord wants me in prison. This is actually part of his sovereign plan. And he's writing to comfort and assure Timothy that his life, uh, with all its challenges of ministry in Ephesus, with with all the opposition that he is facing even amongst people within his own church, it's not a random accident without meaning or purpose. It's located into the uh, eternal plans and purposes of God. And when we stop fighting against this doctrine of election, we're going to find it both profoundly humbling... Filling us with praise and thanksgiving, but also profoundly comforting. The assurance that this sovereign God is not making any mistakes in our life, even when we're suffering. It's a transforming truth, isn't it? If we allow it to sink deep into our minds and our hearts, before God created time, before he created the universe... He was thinking of me. Mind blowing. He chose by his undeserved mercy and out of his own love to show me grace, to show me his undeserved kindness by choosing to unite my life with the life of his own son, King Jesus. How amazing! How incredible. want to sing another song of praise right now, but we'll hold off till the end. And this secret, eternal, uh, unseen plan of God became visible and public in a moment in time when God's grace was revealed in the appearing of Jesus. It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Uh, Last Sunday at the end, a a guy came in, uh, his name was David, he was wanting to take photographs of the church, and so uh, started chatting to him and he sort of told me how he basically, uh, a while back he started reading through the Bible, he'd got sort of about two thirds of the way in and he stopped and he he was thinking maybe he should restart, you know, he wants to read, about should he go back to the very beginning, What, what, what do I think? I said, well, go straight to the Gospels, start reading the Gospel accounts. It all is focused in on Jesus, all of God's amazing plans and purposes. Before the creation of the whole universe centered on Jesus. So go straight there. Have a look at him. Discover God's amazing grace through Jesus. There's a short summary of the good news here in verse 10. Why did God appear in human flesh? Well, to be our savior. Christ Jesus came to destroy death and to bring life and immortality. Now, it's helpful to understand what the Bible means by death. It speaks of death in about three different ways. John Stott, with typical brilliance, summarizes it in this way. Death is the wage that sin pays. It's grim penalty. And because we sin, we face death. But actually, the Bible speaks of death in three ways. Physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. Physical death is about the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. And thirdly, eternal death is the separation of both soul and body from God forever. Physical death, the separation of soul from the body. Spiritual death, the separation of the soul from God. And eternal death the separation of both soul and body from god forever but jesus has destroyed death now it doesn't mean that he's eliminated it. we know that both christians and non-christians still physically die but right now non-christians the bible says are spiritually dead because you're separated from god because of your sin before we come to know and trust jesus we're dead in our transgressions and sins Ephesians 2 tells us. And if we die physically in that state of spiritual death, then we, what's ahead of us is eternal death, eternal judgment. But for those who trust Jesus now, we are made spiritually alive. From the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we've been reconciled to God. Our lives have been united to Jesus in his resurrection life. And we're given grace, his forgiveness. We're given eternal life. And so for the Christian who is spiritually alive, when physical death comes, it's not to be feared because it's basically the doorway that gets you into eternal life of being in the nearer presence of Jesus forever and awaiting the resurrection body and the uh, the eternal life of living in the new heavens and the new earth. So through trusting Jesus, we receive life and immortality. We can have hope in the face of death. It's not to be feared, which is a very precious truth if you're in prison and you're potentially uh, facing the death sentence, as Paul could well have been. Death is destroyed in Jesus. Before God created time, he chose that Paul's life would be united to Christ. Death would just be a stepping stone for him into resurrection glory. Now think about this timeline of God's purposes and plan for our lives laid out in verse 10. So um, before time, he chose to give us grace through his son. And in time, about 2,000 years ago, grace appeared in the birth of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, which destroyed death and offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And how does this grace connect with our lives today in Scotland in in the 21st century? Well, the grace of Jesus comes to me through hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, through seeing it, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The only way that I'm going to get my life connected to the grace of the Lord Jesus is to hear the message of the gospel. And I'm only going to hear that message if someone's willing to proclaim that gospel to me, to teach me the gospel. If you were here last week, you'll remember that uh, I quoted the, the words uh, that the apostle Paul heard from Jesus that kind of burned into him. And you can read about them in Acts chapter 26. This is what Jesus said to Paul on Damascus Road. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me i will rescue you from your own people and gentiles i am sending you the apostle i'm sending you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light from the power of satan to god so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me and so paul goes on uh, in second Timothy to say this and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. God plans before time, he's going to give us grace in Jesus. God enters into time in Jesus. And Jesus commissions the apostle to go and be his witness to so others can hear of Jesus, and receive Jesus, and enter into that same grace. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Now I don't think um, we need apostles anymore. There's no one in the New Testament that you read about um, the apostle Paul telling Timothy. Now this is how you appoint apostles, but it does go on and let us say that Timothy is called to be a herald, preach the words. He is told to teach the gospel, to be faithful and patient in doing it. And so that's something that ongoingly continues today. As Christians courageously witness to others about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are bringing to light the grace of Jesus for the lives of those who hear. How incredible. God uses us. To help open people's eyes. To bring them into the light. To turn them from the power of Satan to God. What an amazing privilege. It's good news. Conceived before time. Entering into time. We get to play a part of passing on so others get the grace of the Lord Jesus. Their lives get united to him. They're saved for all eternity. They know that they can have hope in the face of death because life and immortality has been brought to light in Jesus Christ and it is being a herald of this gospel our job is not to change the message to make something more palatable there's no special technique that we can use to to sort of slip this in seamlessly into people's lives there is something to proclaim the given message the grace of our Lord Jesus that's what we must proclaim this is how God saves people and so we need to patiently teach the gospel those who previously did not know it a few months ago Shona got a lovely uh, video message from a couple who we had the privilege of sharing the gospel with in Spokane and leading them to Christ they became really some of our great friends Uh, and uh, after about 20 years since that happened she just wanted to send a video message to say that she was so thankful to us that we changed their lives. Well, we didn't really change their lives. Jesus has changed their lives. But we kind of changed their lives because we we connected them to Jesus. And there's no greater joy than that. It's, it saved their marriage. It strengthened their family. And it saved them from all eternity. Now, the final step of logic as to how you keep sharing the gospel is this goal. Fourthly, that... Others will know this salvation of God. Look at, uh, again at verse 11 and 12, "And of this gospel I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. This is the punch. That is why I am suffering as I am. How does Paul keep going, even though it's tough? He sees his life in God's big plan of salvation. There's a message that saves people. It transforms their lives to be part of His holy people. How are they going to hear it? Only if someone tells them that message. Someone heralds and teaches it. And the honest truth is that doing that work could well mean suffering. Could well mean opposition. Could well mean that we face rejection. Because simply, people don't want to repent. Repent. People don't want to surrender their life to Jesus. They don't want to change from their own spirituality and false religions. And so, Timothy, Paul writes Will you join with me in suffering for the gospel so others will know the joy of life and immortality, the joy of knowing Jesus? What about us here in Scotland? How we respond to God's word in us, to us? If you're not quite sure, well there's a great book, four quid, bookstall. You know someone shared the gospel with us, didn't they? If you're a Christian here, someone did that, you heard it because someone spoke it, maybe you read it because someone wrote it down, gave it to you, how amazing, are you thankful? What are we going to do? Even if it means increased suffering or opposition for doing it, are we willing to hold it out? To pass on the gospel? I think some treat church and Christianity like a leisure choice option. They may or may not be committed depending on if they can fit it in with other priorities in their life. And if that's us, God's word would say to us, we need to stop living like that. And actually, we need to have a passionate commitment to spreading the gospel, seeing it as our God-given life priority for which we are willing to sacrifice time, money, lifestyle, comfort. Why would we do that? For the joy of those who will hear and believe and find their satisfaction, delight in Christ, and will experience life and immortality. That's why. And that's how we keep going. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray for the persecuted church around the world. Lord, we don't really suffer here. And yet we pray for those in Plateau State, grieving those murdered over Christmas. And for those Christians who are grieving loved ones who were killed in India. And for those who are anxious for friends who've been locked up in Uttar Pradesh. Father, would you strengthen them with the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Would you fill them with your spirit that they may have joy? Would you keep your people? And would you help us, Lord, to have courage to to live for the Lord Jesus? Father, we thank you that we have everything that we need in him. If we have him, we need nothing else. And so we thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. So well, let's stand and sing and rejoice in that truth. All I have is uh, that.